Hey everyone, it's the last deep end of Pride Month 2021. We discuss the historical events that brought us to where we are today. Plus, we discuss the most important thing I think you can talk about when it comes to God, and that is how to find your way back to Him. Welcome to your favorite night of the week. This is the deep end with Tim Hatch. I am beloved. The man they call David, the son of a Jesse, the John I slay it, the heart full of king, three stones in a sling. I'm dancing my clothes off to the sound of the beat. Ah, welcome to the deep end with Tim Hatch. Welcome. It is season four, episode 29 of the deep end, and I am so glad that you are here. Make sure that you are hitting us up at youtube.com slash Tim Hatch Live. No matter where you are, get there. I, uh, Facebook, uh, television, even on your podcast app, get over there, like, and subscribe and hit the notification bell. And if you are listening, would you do me a favor on your phone? Take out that podcast app and leave us a review. That would be great. I'd appreciate it. Check out timhatchlive.com. And, and we've changed the name, right? From the deep end to timhatchlive.com because, because now everything is Tim Hatch Live. That's the easiest thing, right? Everything, the website, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, no matter where you are, very simple to find the content. I'm so glad you're here. Tuesday night, 7.30, we discuss culture, we discuss scripture, and we help you hopefully live more faithfully before the Lord in a life, in a world that is getting crazier and crazier. Hey, I want to remind you about something that we're doing now every other week. It's called 10 Questions with Tim. Send in your questions. The next one is in, on July 8th, and it's at lunchtime. Uh, on Thursday, July 8th, send your questions to ask at timhatchlive.com or just leave them in the comments below. Help us make it a great episode by asking sincere, heartfelt questions. No, questions is, no question is stupid. Uh, no question will be rejected as long as it's asked sincerely, and I would love to answer them for you. Also, the deep dive Bible study is coming. Uh, that's going to be segregating. We're segregating the deep end as we know it now. It's going to become uh, deep end, which is news and politics and culture, and then deep dive, which is scripture and Bible study. So if you like one part and not the other, guess what you get to do pretty soon? You get to pick your part and ignore the other, or you can join me for both. I'm so excited. Hopefully we'll be uh, on the air on YouTube on Tuesday, Wednesday, and some weeks on Thursday. And that's the programming changes coming to you probably by August, I hope. And uh, I'm excited. I hope you are too. Let me know in the comments where you're watching from. Let me know in the comments, are you a Bible study person? Are you a whole episode person? Or are you a news and politics person? I know I asked that last week. I want to keep asking because I like to get a survey of the audience to which I'm speaking. So uh, let's get into what I love to do. Most of all, I like, I just do. I love this. This is Deep End News. Deep End News. News and views that don't make us news. All right, deep end news today. We got to discuss something. I'm going to dive a little bit into politics today. Uh, the reason why is because some ridiculous news is afoot. Ridiculous. Yeah, here's the ridiculous news. Uh, Joe Biden has nominated a person named Tracy Stone Manning to head the Bureau of Land Management. Uh, why is this important for you to know on the deep end? Because this is a woman who once advocated for population control by limiting the reproductive rate of Americans. Yes, I kid you not. Tracy Stone Manning is up for an important position in, in politics in, in our government. Uh, who once advocated that human population was the biggest environmental hazard around. And, and she was behind an ad campaign that went out, I think this is in the 1990s, an ad campaign that went out, and the ad campaign went into all kinds of magazines and newspapers. Look at this, it's on the screen. The, the ad says, can you find the environmental hazard in this photo? And it's a picture of a shirtless boy. And below the picture, which you can't see on the screen, but I would love to uh, show you, and I'm going to put it up on text, it says the following. That's right, it's the cute baby. What's the environmental hazard? That's right, it's the cute baby. Americans believe that overpopulation is a problem somewhere else in the world, but it's a problem here too. The earth is only so big and we can tap into it only so often. In America, we tap hard and we tap often. We breed more than any other industrialized nation. At the same time, we suck up one third of the world's energy. On average, each of us gobbles the same energy as three Japanese, 13 Chinese, and 499 Ethiopians. When we overpopulate, the earth notices it more. Stop at two. And by that, she means two kids. It could be the best thing you do for the planet. <laughs> So this is uh, 
This is who Biden has selected to lead the the Federal Bureau of Land Development. And she's basically a land worshiper. She's basically a a a a um, creation worshiper. And this is a growing phenomenon in America. This is a growing phenomenon in America wherein we worship the earth. I don't know if you're noticing what I'm noticing, but it is growing ever more apparent. Uh, we are even asking humans to stop having humans because they are an environmental hazard. Years ago, my wife, she showed me this uh, Seattle town meeting and some people came from the environmental side of things with a song and worship dance and presentation to fight for those uh, those trees and uh, to fight against the industrialization of our world at the hands of the evil humans. And I just I got to share it with you because it's hilarious. Here's how it went down. Watch this. You're not going <laughs> to you're not going to want to miss this. Unwelcome sight in the neighborhood, a developer is being greedy. There's a hole in the sky where a tree once stood. Now they get really into this song. Look at them. Look at them with the uh, Such a lack of life lyrics. and sound. All that's left is bare muddy ground. A magnificent tree was murdered. The mighty dollar cut it down. There's a hole in the sky where the tree once was. Somebody's making money. Stand up. There's a hole in the sky where the tree once was. Somebody's making money. It's like a church service. Laws protect exceptional trees, but the city grants exemptions to these. Instead, they reward the developer's greed and sanction the murderer's deeds. There's a hole in the sky where the tree once was. Somebody's making money. There's a hole in the sky where the tree once was. Somebody's making money no more leave shimmering okay that's enough all right but notice uh if you would with me uh that the people that are singing the song about the evils of creating things that we use uh there's plastic on the woman's head with the plastic wreath there's paper with the lyrics printed out paper which comes from wood uh the person's holding an iphone there which comes from all kinds of resources of the natural environment and this is the lunacy of creature or creation worship i call it creation worship why do i call it creation worship because that's exactly what it is mankind was not designed to worship creation ladies and gentlemen mankind was designed to rule creation i bring you to Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. God blessed them, Adam and Eve, the man and the woman, and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over it. In other words, rule and subdue. It's called the creation mandate. That's what we are called to do as human beings. We're called to not serve the creation. We're called to steward the creation. Now, yes, arguments can be made for how well we are doing that and how well we may not be doing that, but it doesn't mean that we we limit our population growth for the sake of creation. That's, that's creature worship. Now, why does this happen? Here's why this has happened. Because that mandate, Genesis 128, has been inverted. And instead of ruling and subduing creation, we worship creation and we try to rule and subdue God. Because we, through sin, have turned in on ourselves. That's the original sin's greatest effect. We've turned in on ourselves. Instead of worshiping God, we worship ourselves. Instead of worshiping God and for what he's done and given us, uh, we worship the things that he's given us. We have become creature worshipers. Now, think about it. Humans are a part of creation, um, which has now been satanically inspired to worship and serve itself. And, and all these things are spiritual issues at heart. Where, where does it come from? When we start to worship the creation, and then we start to worship ourselves, which I think is what is at issue in, in the month of June, worshiping ourselves, pride, uh, where does it originate? Where does pride come from? Imagine, imagine a month of gluttony celebration. Imagine a month of murder celebration. Imagine a month of uh, wrath. No, 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 no. Or, 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 or a month of uh, adultery celebration. No, we're celebrating pride, right? It used to be one of the seven deadly sins. Now it's the primary virtue of the American way of life. Where does it come from? It comes from our old adversary, Satan, who, before he was Satan, he was called Lucifer, uh, the, the morning star, the day star, if you will. Uh, and he was in heaven with God, and he was the highest cherub, and he was beautiful and adorned with jewels and bedazzled. And Isaiah said that he fell. He fell from his place of significance in heaven because of 
self-worship, pride. He worshiped the creature himself. And so Isaiah says it like this, five I will statements of Satan. But look what he says in Isaiah 14, 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of the dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mountain of the assembly. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. In other words, I will create myself to be an object of my own worship. And so this is where pride comes from, ladies and gentlemen. Satan was cast out of heaven into this earth, and God decided to replace his worship with dust. That's us. Breathed into that dust the breath of life and created man, a living being, to replace Satan's role as a worshiper of God. But we listened in the garden to Satan and followed his rebellion against God. And from that time forward, mankind has lived, turned in on itself. So that plays itself out in any number of sins but particularly in the case of pride. What is pride? Exalting self above all others. And even in the sexual, uh, the sexual revolution of our day, the, the, ex, the exaltation, the celebration of homosexuality, what is that? Instead of rejoicing in the other sex, we're rejoicing in celebrating in our own sex. And instead of, uh, uh, instead of celebrating the differences of male and female, we're eliminating them because, because no, we're going to call the shots here. We're going to make creation what we want it to be. It's just following the leader of this world, the God of this world, as Second Corinthians calls him. So man and woman designed by God are under attack, under attack in the glorification and celebration of same-sex attraction and same-sex immorality, under attack uh, and, uh, and, and, and disordered in its destruction of the differences between men and and women. It's an attack on God as God. How did we get here in America? There's a story behind it all. And what America is experiencing right now is nothing new. Again, I said this last week, I think, or two weeks ago, the homosexual revolution, the men dressing up as women. I mean, there's laws in the Levitical, uh, the book of Leviticus about this. Why? Because this is nothing new. This is what humans do to reject God, to worship creature over, over creator. We have turned inward on ourselves and celebrated who we are. And so the epitome of all that is June, the, the, the month-long celebration of making ourselves like the most high. And now today, even genders do not matter. Transgenderism is the, uh, the, 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 the next great phase. It's, we're 100% we're, we're into it right now. But we have to understand where this stuff comes from. And there's a history of how we got here in America, and you'd be surprised at that history. We owe transgenderism in, a large, par in large part uh, to a guy named John Money. John Money was a psychologist in the 1950s and 60s, and he's largely responsible for putting transgenderism on the political or social map. He was born in Australia, I'm sorry, New Zealand, moved to Australia, got his uh, degree at Victoria University in Wellington, and in 1944, he moved to the United States, got his uh, PhD from Harvard University with a doctor of psychology in 1952, with a dissertation studying hermaphroditism, and I'm I hope I said that right. Hermaphroditism, people born asexual or intersex biologically. Now, up until John Money, most of the hermaphrodite studies revolved around the biological effects of people being born intersex, which is a real scientific study. But he's the one who popularized the idea that it was really just a psychological issue and that it really gender didn't matter. And if we just raised them the way that we wanted them, then the child would adjust. And so he um, actually ended up at Johns Hopkins University and publishing all kinds of research. He wrote 500 papers and 40 books uh, speaking to multiple audiences, physicians, psychiatrists, sexologists, anthropologists, historians, psycho psychoanalysts, and lay leaders. He was a pro prolific author in the world of ac academia, and his thoughts and ideas sold, and they sold well. But the story behind him is tragic and honestly disgraceful. I bring you to the case of Bruce Reamer, and I think I'm saying the last name right. It's a 1966 case in which John Money intervened uh, in a tragic situation. Bruce here, pictured on the screen, was born one of two boy male twins. And during his circ circumcision, the doctor slipped and literally cut off his entire penis. I don't know how this happened, but it happened. 
The damage was irreparable. And his parents were concerned that the injury would cause him mental anguish. And then they saw a commercial with John Money on it. And they took, it, they took their child, now maimed, to John Money. And Money suggested that Reamer's parents have him sexually reassigned through surgery and be raised as a female. They were so desperate, they took his advice, renamed him Brenda, and raised him as a girl for the entirety of his childhood. Uh, the doctor made radical propositions along this way, uh, castrated the child, uh, gave him a prosthetic vagina, and then told his parents, just tell him he's a girl. Just raise him like a girl. Because it's, after all, it's just a psychological thing, gender. This is where it comes from, back in the 1960s. Uh, they put him on hormone treatments from infancy to 22 months. He began to identify as a male, however, at the age of 9 or 10. And he testified later as he would later detransition and call himself, uh, he was, so he went from Bruce to Brendan back now to Dave, David later in life, that he never fit in. He always wanted to climb trees and get involved in fistfights, but he was, it was frowned upon as a girl, and he didn't understand why he didn't fit as a girl. Now, now um, when he complained about feeling like a boy, his parents and other adults actually just convinced him that he was going through a phase and he just needed to embrace his femalehood. And Jana Reamer reportedly wasn't blind to her child's discomfort, uh, with his female gender identity either. She recalled the first time that Reamer was put in a dress, he tore it off and hated it. And there were doubts along the way, she said, on an interview with Oprah many years ago, I think in, back in 2000. She said, but I couldn't afford to contemplate them because I couldn't afford to be wrong. Mm. That's kind of where we are as a society right now. Anyway... This whole issue really disrupted the family. His father sunk into alcoholism. His mother attempted suicide. His twin brother later got into substance abuse and petty crime. And, uh, and, and then the real dark uh, issues came to light as uh, Bruce, now later David, came out and became a man again and, and was gender reassigned back into his maleness. He talked about the psychological visits with money, the psychiatric, psychiatric visits, I'm sorry, with Dr. Money and the research that was performed on him. Reamer and his twin brother were directed to inspect one another's genitals and engaged in behavior resembling sexual intercourse. Reamer claimed that much of Money's treatment involved a forced reenactment of sexual positions and motions with his brother. I mean, this is gross stuff. In some exercises, the brothers rehearsed different sex positions in front of Dr. Re uh, Dr. Money. This is what he pushed upon these boys. And, and, and I only bring it up, and I'm sorry, it's, it's kind of disturbing, but I only bring it up to show you the guy behind the movement, not a good guy, Dr. John Money. Once he discovered the truth about his birth as a teenager, he began a painful journey, this is uh, Bruce slash David Reamer, back to his biological sex. He assumed the name David. He found love and he married a woman named Jane. They were together for 14 years. He was stepfather to his three children and he developed hobbies like camping, fishing, antiques, and collecting old coins. Unfortunately, all the uh, disrupting and heart-wrenching uh, issues and, and, and pain that was thrust upon him at the hands of Dr. John Money were too much to handle, and he later committed suicide. After several failed attempts in his 20s, he died at age 38, two years after his twin brother died from a drug overdose. It's a very sad story, but it's a story that is actually behind the movement that we see so celebrated here in 2021 America. Dr. Money did not believe there were two genders. He believed it was a spectrum. If you felt like a girl, that's who you were. Money thought that, money thought that children were gender neutral until about the age of two and theorized that parents had a period of time that he called the, gen, the quote unquote gender gate during which they could influence the sex of their child behaviorally. The case was cited as a study to prove that, uh, that gender was a, a social construct. And uh, this is all, this is the behind, this, this is the real true Hollywood story of the transgenderism movement of today. Uh, Time Magazine celebrated it. Uh, he, he was uh, heralded as an instrumental scientific researcher at John, Johns Hopkins University, which, by the way, is the only university today, the only university hospital today that rejects doing gender reassignment surgeries because they found the truth. And uh, on and on and on. I could go on for a long time. This guy was not clean. Uh, this guy was also, and this is going to get a little bit, uh, uncomfortable now um, he was a proponent of pedophilia 
later in life, which caused Time Magazine and the New York Times to disavow their celebration of this man. He was quoted as saying, if I were to see the case of a boy age 12 or 10 who is intensely attracted toward a man in his 20s or 30s, if the relationship is mutual and the bonding is genuinely totally mutual, then I would not call it pathological in any way, end quote. He stressed in his writings of the period, quote, the firmest possible foundations for gender schemes are the differences between male and female genitals and reproductive behavior, a foundation our culture strives mightily to withhold from children. All young primates explore their own and each other's genitals, and that includes human children everywhere. The only thing wrong about these activities is not to enjoy them, end quote. That, my friend, is the speaking of a man who is behind the movement of today, today's embrace and celebration of transgenderism. A doctor a scientist, a researcher, a celebrated man in culture, and then disavowed by culture. And you don't hear much about him anymore, do you? You don't hear much about him anymore because he was a psychotic weirdo, a sick, sick man. And this is what happens when the creature worships itself. It turns in on itself and it makes for all kinds of chaos and nonsense and disreputable behavior. And today, America in large part has been shaped by this man. Dr. John Money. You need to know the history behind this. I guarantee you, if you look it up yourself, you'll find that everything that I've said is true. So this is how we get to this place. Uh, in 2021, this week, this happened. Check this out. Um, out of the blaze.com, a man reports, quote, he has a penis, end quote. Outraged woman claims spa allowed naked man in female area in front of young girls because he identified as a woman. And this YouTube video went viral because... Uh, this woman walked into the, uh, it's called We Spa in downtown Los Angeles, saw a naked man standing in front of women and young girls in the spa getting changed with his genitals hanging out and the associates behind the desks didn't say anything because after all, the guy identifies as a woman. So who are we to judge? I want to show you the video and we'll make it through the whole thing. Just check out how bold she is in confronting this nonsense. This is wonderful. We Spa, so you don't, so it's okay. I just want to be clear with you. Mm. Okay, for a man to go. Sorry, I'm having troubles here. Penis around the other women, young little girls under age. Your spa, we spa, condone that. Is that what you're saying? Like I asked. It's so he so he could stay there. He could stay there. What sexual orientation? I see a dick. I'm sorry about that. It lets me know he's a man. I'm sorry about that word. He he's a man. He is a man. He is not no female. He is not a female. He is not a female. Hold on. He is not a female, sweetie. Okay. Girls down there, other women who are highly offended for what they just saw. And you did nothing. Absolutely nothing. In fact, you sided with him. So we spa is an agreement with men that just say they are a woman and they can go down there with their penis and get into the women's section? Is that what you're saying? What, what, really? What law? What law? So women can go into the men's with their breasts. Okay. Yeah, you shouldn't. Y'all wouldn't come back either. She starts to get the refund. Yeah, get your money back. You got a man with his penis talking about he's a woman. He ain't no woman. Anyway, you can watch the video yourself because it just goes on and on and on. And it's really, really disturbing because there's a guy there in line saying, well, he's transgender and the woman doesn't back down. Thank God. Uh, she's a Cuban immigrant, by the way, and a devout Christian. You can check out her Instagram at Cuban Angel. I encourage you to go and support this woman at Cuban Angel on Instagram because she stood up as a Christian. She stood up against the nonsense. It is nonsense. And this is where we are as a culture. This is where this is what has come to, ladies and gentlemen. You've got to know the history behind it, because we're entering into a stage of lunacy. And I, 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 I fear for our children. I fear for Pride Month 2028. What kind of crazy are we going to be embracing by that time? Anyway, that's the history of transgenderism. You, you understand the history of the gay pride movement itself has its rebel has its roots in rebellion against law enforcement. It was a rebellion against police officers who came to a New York City bathhouse named the Stonewall Inn to arrest them for sexualizing young men as, as young as 14 years old. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the history of the gay rights movement. That's the history of Pride Month. So police come to this bathhouse in New York City because, because they, find, they, they hear 
14-year-old boys are being used for sex. And, uh, and I have a picture of it here on the screen for you. This is the picture of the Stonewall Inn uh, back then. And the police come in. They raid it. They, now, they didn't, they didn't treat them well, but there was a lot of hostility on both sides. And the homosexuals fought back. This is this famous night on June 28th, 1969, where the homosexuals fought back against uh, the police raid. And they, they attacked the police and locked the police in the building and set the, police, they set the building on fire. And the fire department had to come out and, and put the fire out. Uh, reported the news the next day. Uh, homo nest raided. <laughs> Queen bees are stinging mad. Ladies and gentlemen, that was the birth of what we are seeing today in this month. A rejection of police authority. Isn't it, isn't it ironic that we have been living in the last 12 months of, of police authority being rejected in, in, in almost every area of cultural of our culture. And, and this, is, this has been um, uh, legitimized by our political leaders. Ironically, the first black president, Barack Obama, was, was unfortunately used as a tool to celebrate and commemorate this rebellion against authority. 50 years later, after the Stonewall riots in which they tried to kill police officers, 50 years later, the police commissioner of New York City officially apologized for what the police did. And then President Barack Obama designated the Stonewall Inn as a National Historic Landmark. Watch this. Back in 1969, as a turbulent decade was winding down, the Stonewall Inn was a popular gathering place for New York City's LGBT community. At the time, being gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgender was considered obscene, illegal, even a mental illness. One night, police raided the bar and started arresting folks. Raids like these were nothing new, but this time the patrons had had enough, so they stood up and spoke out. The riots became protests. The protests you see how became I a movement. This. The movement ultimately became an integral part of America. So this week, I'm designating the Stonewall National Kumbaya, Monument the, the newest background. addition to America's national park system. Stonewall will be our first national monument to tell the story of the struggle for LGBT rights. I believe our national parks should reflect the full story of our country, the richness and diversity and uniquely American spirit. I can't take spirit. anymore. I can't take anymore. All right. This is where we are because of satanic influences upon the culture. This is where we are. When, when, when the creature turns in on itself and celebrates itself and exalts itself above God, this is where you get to, where we now celebrate these things. We celebrate rebellion. We celebrate the rejection of sexual norms. We celebrate rebellion against the human anatomy. We celebrate the, re the rebellion against the way God designed us. I, you've got to know the history. You've got to know where it comes from. Obama, at the commemoration of the Stonewall Inn landmark, said the following, quote, We the people declare today the most evident of truths that all of us are created equal is the star that guides us still, just as it guided our forebears through Seneca Falls, Selma, and Stonewall. He, he relates Seneca Falls, the, the birthplace of the women's rights movement, and Selma, Alabama, the birthplace, birthplace of the civil rights movement, to Stonewall, a place that was, that was a police raid turned bad, turned nasty, in which authority was rejected and p police were threatened with death. So now our forebearers, according to Barack Obama, were rioting homosexuals at a bar waging war on the police. That, that's, how we've, that's how far we've come. This is satanic, my friends. I've been having a conversation with people in my church about how, much, how many more times a week we are seeing people come to us because they feel satanically oppressed or, or, or possessed. And we have been casting out demons at our church. We just had a young man named Righteous baptized in our church who had been under the influence of satanic demons and was literally had to be pulled apart by police officers. We thought it was a lost cause. And evidently the prayers worked and he got baptized in our church six months later. Praise God. But we're seeing an increase in this. Do you know what it is? It's because we've opened the door to Satan as a culture. We've opened the door to satanic uh, self-worship and, and all of this stuff. When we, when we make pride a virtue, we pay the price as a culture. And that's exactly what's happening right now. And parents don't know what to do with their children. And people don't know what to do with society. And we are confused as ever in the name of celebrating ourselves. By the way, this video was taken of the remains of a pride parade in New York City by Andy No, who was a gay man actually, and a 
courageous reporter, and he went through the city of uh, New York. I'm just putting it on the screen here. And look at the trash. This is after the Pride Parade. They, this is what they don't show you on the news. This is what they don't show you, okay? A Pride Parade. Just mess all over the city of New York after a celebration of homosexuality and pride and transgenderism. And what you see there vis- physically is a representation of what it leaves you with spiritually. Trash. Trash and mess. Anyway, this is called, this is called um, progress, I guess. This is called advancement. This is now referred to as civil rights. And it's kind of ironic because civil rights are now about men dominating women in sports because they identify as women. Oh, and and this, out of the New York Post, transgender woman wins Miss Nevada USA pageant making history. This is civil rights. Civil rights is when women no longer win contests because men play. Yeah, Cataluna Enriquez, 27-year-old, began competing in cisgender pageants, switched over to female pageants, and now is the winner of Miss Nevada USA. All the females who participated lost to a man. Civil rights, ladies and gentlemen, civil rights. This is where we are. And even the NFL is in on it now. Now the NFL is gay. This is their advertisement they just put out. The NFL football saying football is gay, football is lesbian, football is beautiful, queer, life, exciting, transgender, power, tough, bisexual, strong, freedom. I mean, it's nonsense. It's American accepting everything. Football is not everything. It's a sport and it's for everyone. This is the NFL getting full on board with pride, with the celebration of immorality, the celebration of things that John Money began, the celebration of rejecting authority, the celebration of rejecting how God designed us. And now, <laughs> guess even more loony, you can identify as trans, transracial. Uh, a man in, in England has come out and has rejected his Englishness and has decided to identify as Asian or Korean. Sorry, Korean. After 18 plastic surgeries, which is perhaps the least disturb, the most disturbing facet of the story, 18 plastic surgeries to make himself look more Korean. And he says, it's time for us to accept transracialism as a thing. He tweets out, uh, being transsexual is the same thing as being transracial because you are born in the wrong body. Well, Find an argument why he's wrong. Tell me why he's wrong. There's no argument you can make. Not with the way we're thinking today. He tweeted out, please add transracial to the LGBTQIA plus flag. I know there are millions of underrepresented transracial people in the world. I mean, this is where we're going. What, what, what's next? Transspecial. Meaning you identify as a bird, a dog. I mean, it's been done before. Kermit the Frog, Pepe Le Pew, Snoopy, Big Bird. <laughs> Aren't they people that we're just identifying as animals? Why can't I be my favorite animal species? A boxer dog. I have a cute little boxer dog. Why can't I identify? My question is when will or how will the madness ever stop? The answer is it probably won't. Unfortunately, because humanity is broken. Humanity is cracked. Humanity is wrecked. I don't share these things to demonize anybody. Mm -mm. We're under the demonic authority of Satan in this culture, in this world. And that's why we turn to Jesus, friend, because he's the one who's over Satan. He's the one who has conquered the devil. He's the one who provides us a way of escape out. And that's why we do what we do. It's why I love telling you what I tell you on this show. It's why I love telling people about Jesus, because Jesus will bring you back no matter how far away you have strayed. He's the one who will bring you back to wholeness and rightness with God. The message of the church is the same message to every sinner, no matter what the sin is. You can come out of the darkness and into the light. You can turn to him and receive the good news. And that brings me to the life of David. All right, time to discuss the life of David. We're in 2 Samuel chapter 18, and we are talking about this, finding your way back to God. Finding your way back to God. Because... Man, we need this message now more than ever. Uh, if we remember where we left off, Absalom led a coup, stole the kingdom, stole the hearts of the people, stole the kingdom from his father, David. And then uh, there was a war. It was a very brief war because Absalom was defeated soundly and by um, two things. The advice that was given by David's spy, Hushai, 
and then David's army, which was far more skilled and far more trained and, and far more powerful than Absalom's army. And anyway, Absalom dies. We talked about his problem last week, and now we have to deal with the fallout of Absalom's death and David's life. But then more importantly, we're going to get into this, uh, David coming back to the kingdom and what that means for the people who rejected him on his way out. So David leaves, and it's really quick, and it's really kind of crazy how quickly that nation just kind of rejects him, and people start cursing him and turning on him and betraying him, and now he's put back in place as king, and now all these people kind of have egg on their face, and they're kind of, they know their days are numbered if David, if David wants to kill them. And this is a picture. It's going to provide us a picture of how we find our way back to God, because here's the deal. Jesus is in heaven awaiting to come back. And now while he's in heaven, humanity is rebelling and rejecting him wholesale, as I just discussed in Deep End News. And humanity has rebelled and followed the God of this world in in vast celebration of itself. But there's a day coming when the king returns. And in this passage, we see a picture of what it looks like when you turn to this king before, before the end time judgment. And you want to turn to this king because judgment is coming. And so that's the title, that's the topic, that's the discussion. Let's get into it. Finding your way back to God, 2 Samuel 18, 31. And behold, the Cushite came, and the Cushite said, Good news for my lord the king. For the Lord has delivered you this day from the hand of all who rose against you. The king said to the Cushite, Is it well with the young man Absalom? Now remember, that Absalom has just died. And so the Cushite runs to tell David the news. And the Cushite answered, May the enemies of my lord the king and all who rise up against you be like that young man. And the king was deeply moved. In other words, he finds out his son is dead. And he went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he wept, he said, as he went, he said, Oh, Absalom, my son, my son, my son, Absalom, would I have died instead of you? Oh, Absalom, my son. So David is heartsick that, that his son Absalom is dead, as any father would be. But unfortunately for David, the nation is watching this. And people are seeing that David is more upset about the fact that Absalom is not, dead than the fact that his his army fought for him and delivered him from exile. So Joab takes the initiative here in the first verse of chapter 19 and says, it was told Joab, behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. So the victory that day was turned into mourning for all the people. For the people heard that day, the king is grieving for his son. And the people, look how it describes the, the state of the nation. The people stole into the city that day as people steal in who are ashamed when they flee in battle. In other words, they feel defeated. They won, but they feel defeated. And the king covered his face, and the king cried with a loud voice, Oh, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, my son, my son. And, and Joab is not having it. And thank God for this, because Joab did need to speak up. And he confronts the king, and he says, Listen, you're acting like you lost today. You're acting like you, you, uh, um, you, he actually, Joab says, You love those who hate you and hate those who love you. And the people are watching. Get your act together, because if you don't, and I'm just summarizing here, I'm not reading. If you don't, you'll never have any kingdom left. Absalom listens. Uh, not absolutely. David listens uh, and he repents and he gets back on his throne. And here's what it says. Well, not his throne just yet, but it says this in verse eight. Then the king arose and took his seat at the gate and the people were all told, behold, the king is sitting at the gate. The, ca- the gate in the ancient world was a, a place of a governmental power. So he's back in a place of governmental power and all the people came before the king, the Bible says. And now Israel has fled every man to his home. So there's, there's this nation that's kind of in disarray. And David hears Absalom say it, and he kind of gets his act together. And he gets himself back into the place where he can start to bring some order and some structure back to the kingdom and reunite everybody underneath him. And, and you have to understand that there's a, lot of, there's a lot of things at stake for the people. Uh, there's a lot of things at stake for those who rejected David and, and wholesale followed Absalom. There's a lot at stake for three particular people who represent three different places uh, spiritually before David or relationally before David, and they kind of represent us. So David comes back into the, ten, into the kingdom. I'm going to skip ahead to verse 19. The king came back to the Jordan, and, and Judah came to Gilgal to meet the king and to bring the king over the Jordan. Now, Judah is important because that's his tribe, the tribe of Judah, but Gilgal is equally important because Il- Gilgal is the place where God rolled away the reproach from Egypt, uh, uh, the, the reproach of Egypt from Israel after they crossed into the promised land. They, they actually the place where they circumcised their men uh, and prepared for battle in Jericho. Gilgal, it was what I'm trying to say here, is Gilgal is a place of returning back to God. Gilgal is a place of, of repentance, of turning away from the old life and turning back to God and getting order and getting peace and getting under his rule. 
Now, David is at that place. He's in Gilgal for a reason. This is a, is a poetic way of the Bible showing us how we find our way back to God. And there are three people. There are three people that are named in this chapter, 2 Samuel 19, who return to David. Shimei, the Benjaminite who cursed him. Ziba, I'm sorry, Mephibosheth, who uh, was, was tricked and betrayed by Ziba, if you remember from last week, and a guy who was introduced to us in this chapter named Barzillai. And these three men, Shimei, Mephibosheth, and Barzillai, represent, I believe, three stages of returning back to Jesus. Three stages of returning back to Jesus. They also, they also could represent three kinds of people returning back to Jesus. And you are in this story. I guarantee you, you are in this story. Because David treats each of these people differently as he returns back to the kingdom. And they all have very different responses to David's return. Because David's return means really bad things for two of them and really good things for one of them. Really bad things for Shimei, who cursed him, and Mephibosheth, who was betrayed to him, or by, uh, by Ziba to him, and Barzillai, who actually served him well. The big point is this. We got to find our way back to God, and it doesn't matter where you are, and it doesn't matter what kind of life you've had, and it doesn't matter what gets you back to God. All that matters is that you come back to God. That's all that matters. As it says in Jude, and this is an instruction for pastors and Christians, Jude 22 and 23. I only say 22 and 23 because there's only one chapter in Jude. So verse 22 and 23 of Jude says this in the New Living Translation. You must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy to still others, but do so with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. In other words, some people need mercy because their faith is wavering. Some people are doubting and you need to be kind and you need to be careful with those people. Some people you need to snatch out of the fire. Some people you need to just grab and no warning, just, just, you know, pull them out of the flames of judgment. There are different responses to Jesus because there are different places in people's lives in which they come to Jesus. Some people are, are at a soft place. Some people are at a weak place. Some people are at a place where they are about to be judged and they need to be snatched. The point is, it doesn't matter where you are. It just matters that you get back to God through Jesus Christ. Amen. So let's look at these three stories because they are very important for unpacking this text. And then I'm going to pull it all together at the end. Uh, first is Shimei. Shimei returns humbled. Yeah. Shimei returns to David humbled. Now, Shimei is the guy who was throwing rocks and dust at David and cursing him. And, and David says, well, maybe the Lord told him to curse me. And so David's walking out of the city. Here's Shimei, the Benjaminite. Remember, Benjaminites were the tribe of Saul. Uh, Saul was replaced by David. And so Shimei thinks, okay, now you're getting what you deserve because you took over for Saul, my, my countryman. Well, here's what happens with Shimei when, when David comes back. Verse 16. And Shimei, the son of Gera, Gera the Benjaminite, from Bahurim hurried to come down with the men of Judah to meet King David. And with him were a thousand men from Benjamin. And Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul, with 15 sons and 20 servants, rushed down to the Jordan before the king. And they crossed before the ford to bring over the king's household and to do uh, his pleasure. And now look at what happens here. Shimei, it says in verse 18, the son of Gera fell down before the king as he was about to cross the Jordan and said to the king, let not my Lord hold me guilty or remember how your servant did wrong on the day the Lord King, the, my Lord, the King left Jerusalem. Do not let the King take it to heart for your servant knows that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I've come this day, the first of all, uh, the house of Joseph to come down to meet my Lord, the King. A couple things. What does Shimei refer to David as? <laughs> Repeatedly, uh, the King, my Lord, and then uh, my Lord, the King, uh, and my Lord, the King. In other words, you know, he do not let the King take it hard. He knows he sinned. He knows he's in a bad place. He knows that, that David could basically just kill him right now. And what is he coming to God? What is he coming to, to David saying? Have mercy. I, 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 I don't want to die. <laughs> basically, this is, here's what he's saying. I don't want to suffer. Can you please forgive me? I shouldn't have done it. I am stupid and you are the king and you are now my Lord. And I say, I repent, have mercy. Now look what happens in verse 21. Abishai, the son of Zariah, and he's the brother of Joab, says, shall not Shimei be put to death for this because he cursed the Lord's anointed? And Shimei kind of represents a lot of Christians, a lot of, a lot of church people. You're not going to get away with it that easy. We're going to make sure you die. You should be punished. You should get what you deserve. Shimei, Abishai represents a lot of Christians and a lot of churches that look, look down their noses as sinners who sin differently than them. 
Yeah, yeah, a lot of, a lot of legalistic Christians fit into this category. They never let anybody serve because they, you were, they were once in this immoral category. Or, or they look down their noses at certain groups of people because they sin in a certain way that is unacceptable in the church. When the church has perfectly acceptable sins within its midst. <laughs> and Abishai, the son of Zariah, wants them dead. And then look what David says. And I love David because he models Jesus' heart here. But David said, verse 22, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah, that you should this day be an adversary to me? By the way, the word adversary here in Hebrew is Satan. You're acting like Satan. Which is a good word for some Christians here. When you can't allow people to be forgiven because they come from a certain lifestyle or uh, they come from a certain story of life than you and you can't forgive them, ladies and gentlemen, you are acting just like Satan, the adversary. David says, shall anyone be put to death in Israel this day? For do I not know that I am king today over Israel? And the king said to Shimei, you shall not die. And the king gave him his oath. All right. I can hear some people saying, you know, Shimei kind of gets off easy here. And let's be honest, Shimei only repents because he knows he's going to die. Shimei only turns to Jesus because he uh, turns to Jesus. Shimei only turns to David because he knows that David could put him to death and righteously so. And so is this real repentance? And I can see some of you, maybe you're asking me that. Is that real repentance when all we really come to Jesus for is because we're scared of being punished? And I say yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, like, like good news for those of you who come to God simply because you fear going to hell. Good news. That's a perfectly acceptable reason to come to God because you fear going to hell. Jesus himself taught this. In Matthew chapter 20, uh, 10, verse 28, he said, Do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both in soul and body in hell. Both soul and body in hell. Yeah, Jesus taught us to fear hell. Jesus is the one who said, hell's that bad. You don't want to go there. And if the only thing that gets you to turn to me is the fact that you don't want to suffer eternally in hell, good for you. Come to me. I'll accept you. God will accept you. If that's all that you come to him for. Yeah. Some place, some, for some people, that's the only thing they can start with. For some people, that's, that's the only place that they have the ability to start. They, they, they just know that they're bound for hell and they want to repent. I have been at the bedside of people dying and facing an eternity in hell and not thinking that they could be forgiven. And I have told those people, man, repent. You don't want to go there. And I don't care how you lived your life. You can repent right now, right before you go to hell. And you can say yes to Jesus and he will welcome you into the kingdom of heaven. And you say, well, that's not fair. That's not fair. No, it's not fair. It's called grace. Grace is never fair. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. That's what grace is. Okay? Mercy is getting what you don't deserve. Sorry. Grace is getting what you... Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you do deserve, don't deserve. And so that is who God is. He's a God of grace. And some people, that's all they can start with. I, I just don't want to go to hell. And they come. Is that a real confession of sin? Is that a real repentance? Is that a real turning to Jesus? You better believe it is. And it is modeled here by Shimei. And Shimei is accepted because, because David is merciful. And anyone who fears hell will be accepted because Jesus is merciful. Amen. Mephibosheth. Now, if uh, Shimei returns humbly, Mephibosheth returns hobbling. Remember, Mephibosheth was lame in both of his feet. So he's hobbling back to David as David returns to the city. And here's how that goes. Verse 24, Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the, the king. He had neither taken care of his feet nor trimmed his beard nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came back in safety. And when he came to Jerusalem to meet the king, the king said to him, why, do you not, why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? Remember, you ate at my table. You know, this is not in the text, but I can just hear David being like, you know, you ate at my table. I'm the one that put you there. I'm the one that restored you. I'm the one who brought you back. I'm the one who made you who you are. You, you had nothing. You were Lodabar, the place of emptiness. And I put you in the king's table. And, 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 and why didn't you come with me? And, and I love Mephibosheth's honesty and response. And we should take note of the fact that he had not taken care of himself. He hadn't trimmed his hair or cut his nails. And he's a big disheveled mess, which kind of signifies that he's being sincere here in his repentance He's not, if you go back to the last week, it was Ziba who betrayed Mephibosheth to David and said Mephibosheth thought that David's exile would turn into Mephibosheth taking the throne of his grandfather Saul back. And so what we get now is the more clear picture of Mephibosheth was heartbroken that the king came. And we also get news that Ziba betrayed him. Here's what he says. He answered my lord, the king, verse 26, my servant deceived me for your servant said to him, I will saddle my donkey for myself. In other words, I was going to go with you that I may ride on it and go to the king. For your servant is lame. 
And then verse 27, he has slandered your servant. He's talking about Ziba here. He has slandered your servant to the Lord, to my Lord, the King, but my Lord, the King is like the angel of God. Therefore do what seems good to you for all my father's house were, but men doomed to death before my Lord, the King, but you set your servant among those who eat at your table. What further ha- right have I than to cry to the King? Mephibosheth says, you know what? You know what? Do whatever you want. Do whatever you want, King David. I submit. And look what David says. This is great. This is a huge, this is a beautiful picture. In verse 29, it says that uh, the king said to him, why speak any more of your affairs? I have decided you and Ziba shall divide the land. And Mephibosheth said to the king, oh, let him take it all since my lord, the king has come safely home. Okay, I, I want to unpack this because this is beautiful. Because Mephibosheth, remember, had been given all of Ziba's property and Ziba's family to serve Mephibosheth as the, uh, Mephibosheth sat at David's table. Now, after the betrayal, David kind of doesn't know who to listen to. Ziba, who said Mephibosheth wanted the throne, or Mephibosheth, who looks disheveled and sincere in his repentance. And so David's kind of caught in the middle. And so here's what he does. He divides the baby, and he says, you guys, split it. Split the land. Split the proceeds. Split Paul's house. I, Saul's house. I don't care. It's yours. Let's just move on. And I love Mephibosheth's response, because look at what Mephibosheth says. Let him take it all, because all I want is you. And... This is, this is where God leads us in many respects from, I just fear going to hell to a different place, which is, I just want you, Lord. <laughs> it's kind of a beautiful movement with, with these two men. Some people are shimmyized, and a lot of people actually are, come to Christ because they are shimmyized. They just don't want to go to hell. But I believe that the Holy Spirit moves you into Mephibosheth territory where you, you come to Christ because you love him. You just want him. I don't want what you can give me. I just want what you are. I just want you in my life, right? That's salvation. That, that, that's, it doesn't matter. One of my, my point is, it doesn't matter if you came fearing hell because I believe if you come to Christ, he has a way of winning your heart over to him. Earlier in the chapter, I didn't even read that passage, but it talks about how David stirred their spirits back to him, the people of Judah. And that's what the Lord does with us. He stirs us back to him. He brings us back to himself. And, and it's just a beautiful movement. We got to go on. Barzillai, the third person here that returns to David. Barzillai returns honorably. So Shimei returns humbled. Mephibosheth returns hobbled. Barzillai returns honorably. And we're kind of introduced uh, to this guy in verse 31 of 2 Samuel 19. Now Barzillai the Gileadite had come down from Rogalim, and he went on with the king to the Jordan to escort him over the Jordan. Barzillai was a very aged man. And by the way, the very aged man means he was a good guy. That word very aged means he was a good old man, 80 years old. He had provided for the king with food while he stayed at Mahanaim, for he was very wealthy. For he was a very wealthy man. And the king said to Barzillai, come over with me and I'll provide for you with me in Jerusalem. Okay, um, so Barzillai, now we know a little bit more about him. He took care of David while he was in exile. He's an old man, wealthy man sided with David, didn't, didn't follow the rebellion of Absalom, actually helped David in exile. And David says, now I'm going to repay you. I'm going to bring you right into the city and you're going to sit at my table because you deserve it. You worked hard and you were honorable and you were loyal. Look at uh, Barzillai's response. This is beautiful. But Barzillai, verse 34, said to the king, how many years have I left to live that I should go with the king to Jerusalem? In other words, I don't, need to, I don't have much time left here on this earth to go back and live with you in the, in the palace. Verse 35, I am this day 80 years old. Can I discern what is pleasant, what is not? Can your servant taste what he eats or what he drinks? In other words, I'm getting so old, I can't even tell the difference between Burger King and filet mignon. <laughs> Can I listen to the voice of singing men and singing women? Why then should your servant be an attitude burden to my Lord, the king? Your servant will go a little way over the Jordan with the king. Why should the king repay me with such a reward? It's like, I don't need it, Brazil, I says. It's an honor for me to have you consider it, but don't waste that on me. And then look at this. Look at this verse 37. This is beautiful. And I'm going to lead to a, a point here because this is, this is powerful. Verse 37. Please let your servant return that I may die in my own city near, my, near the grave of my father and my mother. But here is your servant, Chimham. Now, Chimham is Barzillai's son by all accounts. It doesn't say it here in the text, but everybody, all the, all the commentators think so. Here's, my, here's your servant, Chimham, my son. Let him go over with my lord, the king, and do for him whatever seems good to you. And the king answered, Chimham shall go over with me, and I will do for him whatever seems good to you. And all that you desire of me, I will do for you. You know what Brazili does? He uses the reward that David was going to give him to bless someone else, to pass it on, to pay it forward. 
Don't miss that. This is so powerful. Brazili says, listen, I don't want the reward. And any reward that you give me, I want you to give it to someone else. I want what God, what you, the, my Lord, the King, has given me to be used to bless others. Make room for my son, Chimham. By the way, 400 years later, the name Chimham appears in Holy Scripture in Jeremiah 41. And it's a beautiful moment. Look at this, Jeremiah 41, 17. And they went and stayed at Gareth Chimham near Bethlehem. <laughs> Intending to go to Egypt. Egypt. Yeah, that word Bethlehem is kind of important to Christian history, right? That's where Jesus is born. Isn't it amazing how Chimham becomes this place, this location. That happens a lot in Holy Scripture where a person's name becomes the, a, per, a place becomes the, the name of the person who was influential, who settled it. So Chimham comes near Bethlehem to create a place for people to live on the reward that was offered to him through his father, Brazili, who wanted to be a tool to transmit that reward from David on to those beyond himself. I hope that makes sense. I hope I said that clearly. I hope he caught it. And isn't it amazing that that reward that comes through Berzillai to Chimham comes all the way to Bethlehem where Jesus Christ would be born. It, to me, it's just cool how Holy Scripture comes together. I, I don't know if that rocks your world like it rocks mine, but I think it's so amazing. Last two verses I want to read together with you today. Verse 39 and 40, it says this, Now all the people went over the Jordan, and the king went over, and the king kissed Barzillai and blessed him and returned to his own home. The king went on to Gilgal, and Chimham went on with him. And all the people of Judah and also half of the people of Israel brought the king on his way. And, uh, and, and this is the story. This, this, this is how David comes back. And this is how these three men respond to the return of the king. And it is a, again, I want to remind you, it is a picture of what we are experiencing right now in redemptive history. Jesus has risen from the grave, gone to the Father, sent the Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and is working to bring people, sinners, back to himself. Sinners who are in rebellion, following the God of this world, okay, and destined for hell, Jesus is now bringing back to himself because he is coming back, and it will not be pretty for those who do not turn to him now. This is the chance for us to repent. This is the time frame for us to turn to him. And it doesn't matter where we are on that spectrum between Shimei and Barzillai. It doesn't matter. We, you might be a Shimei. You might be totally rebellious and just fearing hell. Come to Jesus. You might be a Mephibosheth. People have hurt you. People have betrayed you. People have turned on you and said all manner of false things about you. Turn to Jesus. And you might be a Barzillai and you might have been faithful to Jesus. Well, guess what? Use your gifts to bring others into the blessing of Jesus. That's the picture of this beautiful chapter. At the end of the day, here's the theme. Here's the theme of the whole talk. Sinners are lost, confused, and walking in darkness. But Jesus is seeking to redeem them and bring them into the light. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's what's going on right now. Make no mistake, when I talk about Pride Month, when I talk about any sin, homosexuality, adultery, greed, lust, violence, whatever, stealing. It, it, I'm not talking about those things to make you feel bad or to beat you down. We talk about those things because we've got to call people to repentance. Hell is a real thing. Darkness is a real thing. And Jesus offers us redemption, renewal, and resurrection to new life. That's the beauty of the gospel. It doesn't matter how far you've wandered. It doesn't matter how rebellious you've been. You could be a Shimei having cursed God and he will forgive you through Jesus Christ. Isn't that gorgeous? Isn't that beautiful? That's the beauty of our salvation. So I want to put this, this last graphic up here. Um, these three men also re represent three attitudes, right? It's, it's Shimei, number one, represents repentance for what we've done wrong. Like we know we've done wrong. So some of us, we come first as Shimei's. We know we've done wrong. We need Jesus. We repent. But then Mephibosheth is like stage two. Like this, this, this could be this movement in our lives. Then we become like Mephibosheth. We seek him for who he is and not simply what he can give us. And then, and then hopefully later in the, in, in, in the life of faith, we become like Barzillai. Our reward is serving his cause to help others know him. That's our reward. We don't, we don't need the stuff. We just want to use God's goodness to, to bless others, to, bring, uh, to provide a place for others 
to hear the good news. And that's why you tithe to your local church, by the friends. That's why you give to the mission of Jesus. That's why you support the gospel, because you have grown to know that the greatest reward you can have is not the stuff that God can give you, but just knowing that God is with you. Just growing in him, loving him, enjoying him for who he is, because he is, he is our Lord. He is our Savior. He is our friend. He is our Father. And the movement, I pray, I pray over your life that you make that movement from Shimei to Mephibosheth or to Brazili. Or maybe you're one of these people already. Here's the point. Wherever you are, just come to Christ. <laughs> Wherever you are, whatever you've done, just come to Christ because he's got open arms. He is the king who, who is returning and he's going to return to people who don't deserve his grace but are going to receive it. But if you don't come, and if you don't return, and if you don't repent now, eternal condemnation awaits. That's the word of Jesus. Fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. I am the way, Jesus said. I am the truth. I am the life. And if you come to me, I'll never cast you out. He said, I, I came to seek and save that which was lost. I've, came, I've come to serve, not to be served, and give my life as a ransom for many. He's the pathway. He's the door. He's the gate of God's grace. And wherever you are, friend, Come, come to Christ. Amen. That's the episode, everybody. I hope you've enjoyed it. And I hope you do me a big solid favor. And would you do me this important work? Support the deep end, if you would. Go to the deepend.tv slash give or Tim Hatch Live, I think now. Sorry, timhatchlive.com slash give. Check out the ways to give. You'll find out. Just go to the website, Tim Hatch Live. Here, here you go. Go to the website, timhatchlive.com. You'll find out how you can support us. And uh, if you could do me a favor too and hit the like button on that video. And if you haven't already, hit that subscribe button. It looks like that. And uh, give the beard some love. And also hit that notification bell. Ring, ring. So you'll always know when we go live on your smartphone device. You always want to know on your smartphone device when we go live. Check it out. It's very easy. Click that notification bell. Uh, visit TimHatchLive.com for swag. Check out my book. That's the episode. Season 4. Episode 29. God bless you, everybody. I'll see you next time on The Deep End. Thank you for watching this episode of The Deep End on Tim Hatch Live. And let's be honest, you really enjoyed it. So click that subscribe button, click that like button, and also the notification bell so that you can always be aware of when we go live next. The Deep End is made possible by viewers like you. So consider giving today. I look forward to seeing you next time on The Deep End.